Hey, how you doing? Thank you for listening. It's Melissa Gale here bringing to you the Work, Life and Balance show. The purpose of my podcast is to share with you some great content from everyday people. My guests come from a variety of backgrounds and they'll be discussing with me their work, passions and personal life stories. I hope you really enjoy it. If you do, please leave a review. Hey there guys, so welcome back to another episode of the See Within Work Life Balance Show. If you've returned to listen to a new episode, then that's fantastic and thank you and welcome back. And if it's your first time, well, you're in for a real treat as well. So this episode, we're going to be talking about what is the right job and the right working culture environment. And I'm going to be talking with David Ellery, who is owner and founder of Ripple Recruitment. So getting a job that is right for you can make a huge difference to your career path and fulfilling your potential. And likewise, for an employer, finding that right employee is crucial to the overall success of any company. So in this episode, we will be discussing various aspects of recruitment from both the client and candidate's perspective. The hiring challenges for SMEs, how SMEs can compete with larger well-known brands, how to decide if you should work for an SME or larger business, what does company culture mean and why is it so important and why does it matter? Why is culture so difficult to articulate? And how do you find out what a company's true culture is? Lots more, some great content as I said. So grab a pen and pad. I'm your host, Melissa Gale, and this is the Work Life and Balance Show. Well, hi, it's Melissa here in the studio and I've been joined by David Ellery from Ripple Recruitment. How are you doing, David? I'm very good, Melissa. Thank you for inviting me in. Oh, no, you're more than welcome. How's your week been? It's been good. It's been good. January, as you mentioned, has disappeared in a, in a blink of an eye. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been a good start to the week. It's amazing, isn't it? How quickly time is just going. One minute you're sort of planning the year. Yeah. And before you know it, the month is, you know, we've still got another week to go, yeah, but yeah. it's but going even quick. Even the years itself, I have a five-year-old boy who's six at the end of this month and I just can't believe he's still 12 months old to me you know it's it's it's, everything goes so fast yeah yeah well it's a real I have two boys too and once you have children you really understand the importance of time and how quickly it does go past and how much more they age you yeah Yeah. (laughs) they do they do but it's worth it It it's worth it it. so today we're we're going to be talking um, about a number of different matters around recruitment which is a vast topic to discuss um but really as i understand it we're, we're going to touch on um really getting an insight and understanding about providing a recruitment service um to smes mm-hmm. and the benefits that um your agency or recruitment can offer smes as well yeah and understanding from a candidate's perspective um looking for that right job culture environment and how important that is for them but before we get started mm. on that um, it's always nice to hear from guests a little bit about their background. So has your background always been within recruitment? Uh, it hasn't, no. Um, so I got into recruitment in 2006, um, which was in the glory years, I guess, of recruitment when it was, it was much, much easier, it seemed at the time, yeah, anyway, looking back. I remember. Um, <laughs> but prior to that, I'd worked in financial services. So um, I've, I'm from Reading. I've always lived in Reading. So uh, I worked for Prudential, as I think everybody has in, in Reading. And my brother did, my mum did. Um, so I started at um, Prudential. I worked at Norwich Union. So went into financial services. And then, like most people, I guess, stumbled into recruitment, fell into it when looking for sales roles and thinking, how could I increase my income? Um, so, yeah, I got, got into recruitment in 2006. So it's about 14 years now. Okay. Oh, and what sort of industry sector did you go into? So I started uh, spe- very specifically within mechanical engineering. Okay. So it was it was a large organisation, so you were quite siloed in the areas that you were working in. So it was quite specific within, within engineering. All right. And then how did that progress on to sort of where you're at now in, in starting Ripple Recruitment starting in 2017? That's right, yeah. At the yeah. end of 2017, beginning of 2018. So we've just gone into the third year this year okay um, so so when you when you went through your career process of recruitment mm. what was the turning point for you to to decide okay you know i'm gonna do this myself yeah 
So I think ever from the first company I joined, I was with them for best part of five years. Um, great learning curve. Um, took took a lot away from that business, but I think. I always felt I wanted to be part of a business in terms of I wanted to be able to see that I could become a part owner uh, or get some equity in a company. So I joined a company in Winnersh after that who um, had a very clear plan to do a management buyout. Um, unfortunately, after a couple of years, things changed and they ended up selling to an American company. Oh, so right. at that point, I thought I was getting closer. Um, then I joined a business in London, which were offering uh, shares in equity, but that was in a very, very specific sector of oil and gas. Mm. And I managed to pick the exact point that the oil and gas crisis hit. Um, <laughs> so I joined the, one of the biggest oil and gas recruitment companies and then about six months oh, in, dear. the oil price absolutely uh, dropped to the floor yeah. um, and everybody was cut back. So um, that one didn't work out. Um, and then joined a business in Maidenhead, actually, so not far from, from Marlow, um, which was one of the businesses that I bought into and um, was with them for three years. And we got to the end of the three years and I think we just both decided that it wasn't quite right for either of us. So it gave me a bit of a taste then. I was a, an equity holder in that business um, and I started to see what that might look and feel like and I really enjoyed it. Mm. But I think there wasn't the full element of control because I was one of three. And I thought, mm. you know what? If I really want to do things my way, which I'd always wanted to do over the time, I need to start it myself. Yeah. Um, so I thought about partnerships, um, but I don't think there was anybody in my sort of circle of colleagues and friends that I that was in was the right time for them. So yeah, so I started in in January two thousand eighteen, essentially with um, buying a website and figuring out how am I going to make some money, essentially. Wow, and that's a and that's a very admirable move as well. I mean, I have an extensive background in recruitment, so I know how. Um, tough the industry can be yeah. the highs and the lows and also how different uh, recruitment can be experienced let's say from one um, recruiting employer to another um, and even just in generally sort of organizations it can be very different as well yeah and it's and it's super competitive you know you I'm yes I'm competing against other agencies but we're also competing against lots of internal teams now mm. it's a huge way they go you know, a lot of people doing direct yeah. recruitment yeah um, in in-house where you sort of get an RPO arrangement so it, it's a competitive market and I think that was one of the things I started setting out with is how am I going to differentiate and do things differently and, and in part that's where focusing on the sort of small to medium sized businesses came from so I thought where can I add the most value in the process of, of what I'm doing and that's where I ended up yeah and how did you so if you could explain to the listeners Ripple mm. Recruitment so who are you um, assisting in the industry what sector are you dealing with now yeah sure so um, it's, a, it's a real mixture of engineering and IT so it's typically white collar so it could be um engineers within the manufacturing space, mechanical electrical design engineers. Um, but more recently, we've really focused more on the IT sector. So typically within software development is the key area that we focus on now. And why has is, why is that sort of been the particular emphasis for you? I think... To, demand? To, yeah, de demand is, is absolutely one of them. And then where I'm based as well, because I'm in Reading and Thames Valley area and going into London, that, that's a real tech hub. So mm. it's, it makes complete sense. A lot of the manufacturing businesses I work with are more up north, um, which is no issue at all, but it's quite nice to be able to go and meet the clients, um, get to know the culture of the business. So working with local companies, you know, the IT space is a, is a really great area, though it's really competitive as well, unfortunately. And forever changing. Yeah. As well, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. It is. It is. It's, it's evolving. And because it is so competitive and there's such a shortage of candidates, you really have to do something to stand out. And I think that was what, what I wanted to focus on is saying, well, if I'm going to recruit in such a difficult to recruit sector, I need to add extra value. Add on value. Way. Yeah. And, and just touching on what you, you mentioned a few moments ago as well, you know, recruitment in the past decade and the way that it operates has changed significantly, yeah. hasn't it? Phenomenally. It really I mean, many business sectors have done because of the development of, of tech, IT, mm -hmm. and all those advancements. Um, but it is so much faster. I mean, I remember, and this is probably showing my age, but I remember initially in recruitment, you know, having the weekly adverts in the paper yeah. and magazines. Um, and then that's all changed to various job boards, forums, dare I say LinkedIn, yeah, yeah. which can be a um, pro and a con, you know, to an agency like yourself. Um, 
What have been the standout things for you? I mean, maybe that sort of covers it for you, really. Anyway, the changes there. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It, it has changed, and, and I was I joined like in 2006. So um, I think prior to that, and I always used to hear stories of our managing director. They say, "Well, we used to crowd around the fax machine, waiting, waiting <laughs> yeah. for new CVs to arrive every morning, and then everyone would the have update. a mad rush to get the best CVs." Um, so yeah, certainly technology has has really helped. But the big issue with that, from my point of view, is it's helped everybody. Mm. Um, so historically, I guess agencies had a big advantage because they were the only ones that were subscribing to the premium advertising and the job boards and, and things like that. But now it's so accessible. I guess it's a bit like selling property. Yeah, you, know, you, you, you can get purple bricks. Others are available. Um, but, you know, you, you can do so much directly now. Do you need such a specialist um, agency or, or resource? So it is more, it's more challenging. And you need to add, I say, you need to add more on the way. To, to make sure you're given that value. And I suppose my answer to that would be, or response to that would be, well, do you need a specialist agency? Well, this, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and your answer would be, yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. It's impossible to <laughs> repeat that one. So let's, um, let's sort of break it down a little bit then and um, go over some, some, maybe some key points that we can elaborate mm. on here, David. So what do you, you tend to find really then thinking of SMEs mm-hmm. because that's that's the sort of target audience that you're really focusing on because the large organisations tend to have their internal resources, RPO and so forth. Yeah. Um, what do you find are the challenges that SMEs face I in recruiting? I, yeah, I, well, I think ultimately the biggest challenge is that they're still competing for the same pool of talent. Um, so, you know, there isn't a, a specific pool of talent just for SME clients. They have to compete with, with, the, with the bigger players. Um, and I think there's a real lack of brand awareness. I mean, if you're, if you're Google or you're Facebook and you're very, or, or even a much smaller company, but you're well known and you have a brand, then people immediately recognize your company. They maybe have a conception about what you stand for, what your values are, and they may hit apply because they recognize you. But if you're a business of 20, 30 people, you know, based in, in Marlow or in Reading or Maidenhead, um, you, you don't have that brand awareness. So how you get people to apply to your advert over somebody else's or how you get them to attend your interview over somebody else's, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that they face is, is getting their brand and their message out in front, and, and in front of people. Mm. Um, alongside that, I think there's also a lot of preconceived ideas about smaller to medium-sized businesses. I think people have an idea of what the pros and cons are, but often the cons tend to be around the financial security or the training and investment. So I think a lot of sm- smaller businesses maybe have to preempt that concern. You know, if you know that someone's going to be concerned about your financial stability, how do you overcome that early on in, in, early in the process so that you don't lose people further down the line? Yeah. So why do you think maybe you've got um, an SME that maybe is doing substantially well and, mm. and perhaps, say, 20 up to 50 staff? What do you think is, are going to be the benefits, say, going to somebody like yourself, going to a recruiter, um, instead of uploading onto a job board or utilising LinkedIn? Why go to somebody like yourself? Yeah. Um, I, I guess the short answer would be the proactiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically when we look at any position, what we'll normally find is around 25% of the candidates we'll find will be quite active. So they'll be applying to jobs. They may see an advert online, um, maybe see the advert directly on the employer. And that, that will give you a, a, a selection of, of candidates. But around 75% are the passive candidates. And these are people that are in work, not particularly happy, not particularly unhappy, but could be could be tempted by the right opportunity. Um, when you're not using an agency or you're not using somebody that can be your outreach, how do you get in front of those people, I guess, is the biggest challenge. Mm. Um, they're not looking at your advert. They're not aware of who your business are, so they're not going to likely to just stumble across you. So what we tend to do is obviously take that message out to those individuals. So we'll be targeting specific organisations, specific companies and, and profiles, and then we'll be sharing an insight into that company. And the way we do a lot primarily is through video. Mm. So we do Q&A sessions okay. with the companies we recruit for. Um, we record a, a short 10-minute interview with the hiring manager um, where we run through the company culture, why somebody might want to join, what's the opportunity, um, and then we share that video with the candidates. So the first interaction they get to see is the actual hiring manager talking passionately about the company. Um, and it just gets that immediate buy and they go, okay, I never heard of you, but this sounds great. Um, yeah. Let's talk. And that, that engagement is all you're aiming for, I guess, initially. So would that be 
would that video be instead of you initially going into the workplace uh, instead of going into the workplace would you still go into that organization yourself yeah, as well yeah absolutely so the the video part is purely so that can be shared with candidates love that idea yeah and, and the feedback we, we've only really been doing it probably in the last two three months mm. um and the feedback's been great you know yeah. candidates saying why doesn't everybody do this because yeah. it, you really get a feel for who you're meeting and i know some recruiters do it the other way around as we do where we do an interview with the candidate yes. and we share that with the hirer. Yeah. Um, but I think that isn't the challenge. The challenge isn't getting the um, the, the hiring company interested in the candidate because they're, they're interested. We're recruiting in a very candidate-driven market. And mm. The real challenge is how do we get the candidates interested in the, the buy-in? In the buy- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we've found it works, works really, really well. And what's interesting as well is that, well, I mean, my first thought in going to an agency actually is hopefully the cost effectiveness because mm. time is precious, isn't it? Everyone's it is. busy, busy, yeah. busy, busy. And um, recruitment is so, so, so important. And there can be an error of flippancy, I think, in going through the recruiting process. Yeah. Um, so it's really, really important that hopefully at the early stages you get that right person on board. Yeah. And therefore, you know, black and white, and what I'm talking about here is on paper. Mm. You know, if you're presenting a company to a candidate, here's a job spec. Yeah. Um, just as if you can see a person's CV, black and white, and it doesn't really inspire you too much. But you know because you've met the person in the company or the CV and yeah. you've got a sense of the culture, you've got more of a sense of them and their personality. The recruiting agency is, is that real go-between once you've got a trusted relationship in place in understanding what qualities strengths on both parts can actually come together and make a beautiful relationship yeah, going so, forwards yeah, yeah. no I, I think you're right and i think it, that that and that comes with time mm. when you first work with an agency you don't necessarily know that they're getting it right every time and you won't it's a learning process you know when of we course. first start working with a business um we may send five CVs and, and four of them may not be the right fit. Mm. But the next five we send, all five will be right. And it is a process you have to go through as you, as you start to, to learn more about the business and the preferences and the culture and what, and what fits and what doesn't fit. Um, but I think the video element, like I say, it helps. And from a time-saving point of view, what we, what we normally say is, you know, if you've ever interviewed somebody, normally within the first 10 minutes, you've got a fairly good idea. You may not know that they're right for the role, but you'll often know that they're not right. For, the yeah. for whatever reason that might be yeah. technically they may have fallen down very early on or culturally you think they're not there with the communication so we say well rather than spend an hour with somebody that you know isn't right watch six ten minute videos um and, and see a much wider range of, of profiles and then mm. you can make you can see six people in, the, in that same hour so mm. it can be yeah it can be a huge time saving yeah uh, uh, that's that is really a great idea i just i suppose i wonder how candidates are mm. in in being videoed to then send that off because I'd imagine not everybody comes to light in the most favourable way at times on video because the nerves get the better of them. Yeah, it, well, and it's interesting you should say that because when I first looked at doing videos and using video software, that was my immediate concern. I thought it's a competitive market, market as it is anyway. I'm now having to approach candidates and saying, not only do I want to speak to you and interview, <laughs> but video. I also want you to go onto a video with me. I thought, who's going to do that? You know, yeah. the next agency that's going to call isn't going to ask that of you. Um, but I think it's, it's all down to how you position it sure. and the value. And I think when I talk to candidates and I say, you know, what frustrations do you have with your job search? Often they'll say, well, I know I can do the job. But I, I, they, they see my CV and for whatever reason, my passion doesn't come, come across or my enthusiasm. And I think, well, how would you like to capture all that um, and get that across to the client? And, and when you explain the benefits of it, they, I, I've, I think I've had one person that was uncomfortable yeah. um, in the last 12 months yeah. doing a video. Um, and, it, and it genuinely works. I think, you know, about 90, 95% of the people we submit with the video get an interview. That's brilliant. So, so yeah, the proofs in the pudding, I guess, it, it really does work. And hopefully as well, it helps on building those relationships with both client and candidate as well uh, you know because it is some sometimes um or a lot of the time uh, and tell me otherwise because it might have changed um but you know recruiters get a hard time you know it's the, the finger can be pointed at them when yeah. things go wrong and actually there's a little bit more to it than just the recruiter <laughs> they, you know they, they are dealing with with different parties here so the fact that you know if you are starting to have a working relationship with a client and or candidate and you know you sub submit a number of CVs and they're not quite right. Yeah. But actually, you know, talk through whoever is the hiring manager. Talk through with your recruiter 
you know, ensure that they get more of an understanding of what's going on because sometimes information can be filtered through to the recruiter from different angles and not give them a really true picture of what's needed and required. You're right. And, and I think ultimately, I think it really starts right at the beginning of that process is, is defining the role. And, and as you, you'll know from your recruitment years, but often things evolve and change over time the client mm. will say here's my wish list here's everything that I want and you go brilliant here's the person you've asked for and I go well things have changed slightly now I want a little bit less of this and a little yeah. bit more of this um, so it is a it's an ever evolving process that you go through so just because you've got it wrong doesn't mean necessarily you've got it right it could be the things need to be redefined from the client side as well so it's, it's, it's always a work in progress yeah yeah absolutely so why would you say what are the benefits if a if a an SME is is sort of coming to you and they have a, a job opportunity. What helps them in selling themselves as an organisation? What are the benefits of being an SME for someone to join them rather than going to a larger established branded organisation? I think I think it's it's a very individualistic thing and I think it can depend on a lot of different factors. So um, I don't think necessarily that big company versus small company is, is is the direct answer to that question in the sense of should I work for a big company or should I work for a small company? Mm. I think what it probably comes down to is um, do I want to work for that person with those products? I think if you keep that at the top of the list, because I think a lot of it comes down to um, the individual that you're working alongside or working underneath. And I, th- I think I'm sure I'm sure read some statistics that 50, 60% of people leave their job because of their manager. Um, so uh, I think first me. and foremost yeah absolutely you, you've got to be working for the right person culturally and beliefs wise um, but there's I think there's a lot of advantages for working for a smaller business I think you get a much broader range of exposure because naturally larger companies you tend to be a bit more siloed mm. um, so there's a flip side to that you could become a real specialist in a large company because you only work with maybe one skill set or one part of the business um, and that's great if you want to become a real specialist but you may not want to. You may want to be a little bit more diverse. You may want to do marketing, get involved in sales, do some technical elements as well. Um, so I think the variety is there within a smaller business. Um, but the biggest advantage I think I hear is is the, the level of sort of mentorship you get. I think when you're working for the owner of the business or you know, co-owner, whoever it may be, you, you really work much, much more closely with them in, on, a, on a one-to-one basis. Um, yeah. So, and, and you can feel like you, you, know, you will be having a bigger impact ultimately on the company. If it, the impact I can have on Facebook is probably quite small, but the impact I can have on a 10-man organisation could be quite large. Yeah. So I think personally it can be quite rewarding as well. Yeah. And I, and I remember, given those situations, um, just adding to, to what you've explained there, David, is the fact that you know, in joining a, a smaller organisation, hopefully if that, that company does have plans for growth, and you go in there at, at sort of that right time and you're willing and you're tapping into different sectors of the business, your opportunity to move up the career ladder could potentially be greater than in a larger organisation because in a larger company, it's more structured, defined, there are the layers. Yeah. Um, so, so potentially, I mean, there are pros and cons obviously to both and you get maybe more security and stability yeah, well, that, yeah. that's it, and I, and I think you're right, and I think um, sometimes there is the conception around. I mean, training's often a big one that mm. I hear. You know, mm. when um, I speak to to individuals, and maybe they've only ever worked for big companies, they've got the preconceived idea that smaller companies don't do training properly, and it's all at desk, um, hands on, hands dive on. in. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which um, can be a good thing. It, and for it some. can be good, and, and no doubt that yeah. is the case for probably a a, 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 lot, a number of SMEs. Yeah. Um, but I think if you're hiring, you're an SME and you know that's a potential concern, address that very early on in the interview. So you proactively go after and go, look, here's, a, here's our training program. And maybe you have an individual training budget for every employee. It doesn't have to be £10,000 for every employee, but you can go, well, here's what we give. Here's an mm. individual budget for everyone in the business. So even as a small company, you can still make people um, realise that you really prioritise training and investment. Yeah, yeah. And another important factor as well, I mean, there are so many, um, but as a, as a small organisation, it's talked about a lot now within um, social media networks, is, is the, you know, values and the working culture. Right. So we can come on to this a little bit later from the employee's perspective, maybe. But from the employer perspective, as an organisation, how important is it that not only do they have or set the scene for a positive, flexible working culture? 
um, the right values that represent their organisation as well, but that they actually do walk the talk as well. Yeah. How, how important do you think that is? I think hugely. Um, and I think in all honesty, I think a, a lot of businesses, small and large, think very little about their culture. Mm. Um, and I think in part it's seen because culture should be organic and it happens, right? You don't force culture. But the reality is you, you do have to work on your culture. It doesn't na- naturally force. Elements of it will naturally form. But a lot of it is driven by the leadership team and by the managers. And um, this is how we do things. Um, and it, and it, it really makes the difference of an ordinary company into a great company is having that, that really positive culture. So um, I think first and foremost, we always talk to businesses and, and try and understand what is your culture? And it's a really hard question to answer anyway because you just hear buzzwords that we're collaborative um <laughs> innovative whatever it may be and you go okay great give yeah. me three examples of how you're innovative and then there's a silence <laughs> and they're not quite sure what to say and because yeah. they haven't maybe thought about it so much um whereas if i said to them what's your usp as a company tell me about your products they'll be able to reel off a whole yeah. long list of this yeah. is why our product's great here's the top three things it does and so there's a lot of prioritization on maybe why they're a great company in terms of the product mm. But they don't always spend as much time thinking about culturally why they're mm. why they're very very good. And they're sort of like guiding principles, aren't they? That everyone sort of steers towards and how they operate. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it could come down to elements of environment, you know, pool tables and bean bags mm. and things like that. That's part of the culture. But really, like you say, it's around what do we take into account when we're making decisions. Um, and and what's the examples of that? So someone says we have a collaborative environment. You know, I'd be like, great. How often does everybody get together as a team? How many, as, well, how about as a Ooh, company? Once a year. Yeah, that's not right. collaborative, guys. That's it. <laughs> and I used to work for a company that said it got taken over by a US business and they were based in Philadelphia. Um, and I went to their offices and they were pod-based offices. You have three walls per pod, very, wow. very individual. And one of the core values was collaboration. And when you're in a, mm. in a pod-type environment, it, it doesn't always necessarily... Not a lot um, of human interaction there. Not a huge well, it might, it, There might be, over yeah. tech maybe, but it gets lost it, in it translation does. sometimes, it doesn't does. it? Yeah. So I think, you know, if, you're, if you are hiring and you're a small business and you get asked the question, what's your company culture like? You've really got to put some thought into how you might answer. And, and not just how you might answer, how you might actually prove... That that's the case mm. well look, let's just take a break and i'd like to come back and hear some examples maybe of some positive cultural environments that perhaps you've come across as an example so stay with us hi there guys i hope you're enjoying the conversation so far this is just a very quick reminder to please ask you to leave a review and to subscribe at the end of the show i have a variety of guests that join me every week And they come from a variety of different backgrounds too. And there really is something there for everyone. The show focuses on business, but also incorporates very much so social responsibility, well-being, and of course, that work-life balance. Let's go back to the conversation. And carrying on the conversation with David Ellery, who's from Ripple Recruitment. And we've been discussing a variety of... um, topics really around recruitment and very much just before we went to the uh, music there touching on culture how important culture the working culture is so David can you give me some examples then of or some positive working um, cultures environments you've come across that have really stood out for you yeah by all means um, I think there's lots of different examples I think what the, the key thing really is being aligned to and being able to show the examples I mentioned earlier show examples of when you say you're this type of culture how does that manifest on a day-to-day basis so um, it can be something quite small it could be simple as you know we have a a good um, work-life balance culture we value you know people's ability to be able to have downtime or have flexibility to work Um, and when you immediately follow that question up and go okay great does everybody have a laptop if the answer is no to that question, then you've got to, okay, well, on one hand, you're saying they've got a good work-life balance, you can you, you support remote working, but maybe you don't support it financially by giving them a laptop or giving them access remotely for whatever reason. Mm. Um, but uh, some examples, I worked with a business probably about six months or so ago, and they had um, a ideas and innovation um, concept within the business. So they, they, they were quite an innovative company anyway, um, but they had a, a reward program that... Um, 
rewarded employees for coming up with new ideas and, and um, that they could be implemented into the business, which oh, I, I thought that. was great. Yeah. Um, because it encourages people and they did it on a regular basis. So they'll do, I think it was a monthly um, get together where everybody would get together in a room and they talk about new ideas and concepts that people have come up with and can they be implemented. So it gave every employee a voice and, and more than that, it gave them the chance to know they were being listened to as well. So I think anything that's tied in around making employees feel inclusive and, and good communications I think that is is the key I think to, to driving that good culture and, and ultimately doing what you say you're going to do as well mm. um, you know if you make a lot of promises and then don't deliver on them that's the quickest way to really destroy the culture you've got to deliver on what you're, on what you're promising yeah and it's important for employees to know that they they matter and that their voices have been heard you know I, it yeah. never it never cease, ceases to surprise me um, even now in, in different capacities that I, I know people and work in environments, how you may have an organisation, an SME, and actually, you know, when we're talking about an SME, we're not talking about loads and loads of people. Mm. Um, it's, it's contained enough in that hopefully the founder, the owner, will know his staff. Yeah. And it's really interesting that there can be cultures environments where... They don't really know their staff. They don't know what they're about um, because they'll still, even though they're a small organisation, they still may have layers. They yeah. still may have a few managers, um, which I find that um, sad, really, because it's, if you're working as a small company, yeah. it's good to all be on the same page and all, with that goal in mind. Yeah. And if you don't understand somebody's motivators and people are motivated by different things um someone might be highly motivated by the fact they can finish at three o'clock on a thursday because their son or daughter's playing football that might be a huge amount other people may be highly motivated because they can get a bonus at the end of the month mm. if they hit targets so you, you've got to have that in interaction that one-on-one -on -one communication and lots of small business owners are in a position where you know every quarter you can take every individual employee out for lunch yeah um you know if you've got 30 employees you can you can absolutely do that and it will pay dividends in the long run yeah and there are some fan there are you know i've just mentioned about that there are still probably companies that could do a lot of work but there are some fantastic companies as absolutely, well that, yeah. that are out there to work for so how how would um an employee for instance what do you think they need to consider about what sort of culture is right for them and how would they potentially know that that company is representative of their culture that they're they're seeking out right and that's the most difficult <laughs> question to answer isn't it i think you've got a bit um, of time go ahead yeah. so I, I mean so so i guess the first thing is trying to identify what a company's culture is like from the outside is is, is going to be challenging mm. for sure i mean we're, we're in quite an open age now where you have the internet you have social media you have websites like Glassdoor where you can look at people that have worked in the business previously and have left reviews, which I would say always take with a pinch of yes, salt. Yes, yes. Um, I'm glad you said people that. People always tend to leave yes. more negative than like TripAdvisor and all the rest of the things. If they've got a bit of a chip on their shoulder, perhaps. Yeah, mm. exactly right. Um, but what, what that window, I guess, allows you to be able to see is what do they promote and what's important to them? So when I look at a company's facebook page or or most likely their linkedin page but then most businesses will have a company linkedin page when i look at that page is it primarily filled with them selling their product is that what they're most interested in is that what they're most is that what they're about and, and what the message they're sending out there or is it full of i don't know photos of the summer barbecue or the last three people that were promoted holding a bottle of champagne going well done john or sally you know you you've been promoted are they really promoting the, you know, the, the successes within the business and the wins or are they just promoting their own product? Because yeah. I think that alone gives you a very quick snapshot as to what's most important to them. You know, and I'd encourage any small to medium-sized business or any business at all to look at their, you know, their company page and go, what does it actually say about us as a business? What does it say we prioritise? Um, so I think that's a really useful thing. But you can also look at the members um, on LinkedIn as well, the employees on LinkedIn. You know, if, you, if a company is saying that we invest in our staff, we train, that's important, have a quick look at some of their employees and say, um, can you see clear evidence that people have been promoted? Or has is is, is everybody always been at the same level and then they've left? Mm. Um, there's nothing better than when you look at a company, you can see five or six people that have got a career path within that business where they've been steadily promoted and invested in. You go, okay, I can buy into that. I can believe that it's it's genuine. Yeah. What do you... What do you um What's been your experience of candidates when they're looking for a new job? Are there sort of key standout things that they're looking for in companies these days? 
Um, More so than before, perhaps? I, I think flexible working has to be up there. Yeah. I mean, I know it's been on the agenda for a number of years now, um, but certainly that hasn't changed. And mm. I think almost every day, if not every single day, I speak with, with candidates and I say, what's important to you? And they say, can I work from home if I need to? Mm. Not necessarily three days a week or even one day a week, but when I need to, is it okay? without having to be on death's door or yeah. having a fridge delivered or, or whatever, that you, rather than having to give an excuse, is it okay for me to just say, you know what, tomorrow, can I work from home? And the employer go, yeah. And so you know what, I don't understand why. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Well, I'm seeing more and more of it. There are still yeah. a few companies that are not quite there Resistant. yet. Resistant. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, but I, I'm seeing it's, it's much more widely available. So yeah. that, that, that's absolutely up there. Um, and I think training and investment is up there as well. Um, you know, if, if, if you haven't got evidence that you've trained your people um, and your employees, then I think that will you'll become exposed as you go through the interview process. You know, I, I whenever I send a candidate to an interview or arrange an interview, I say to them, you know, ask the um, employer, what was the last training program that you, you laid on for the employees? Oh, I like um, that. And, and if they can't answer that or they have a blank expression, mm. then the reality is they probably don't invest so much in training. Now, hopefully, obviously, I'm encouraging them to ask that because I, I yeah, know of course. have a positive answer. Of course, um, of course. Because we'll, we'll have spoken with the, the company about that as well. But um, yeah, I think so there's a few things you can certainly do. Yeah. And, and in respect to that flexibility as well, something that stands out for me is that, you know, how our busy lives are for, for, for many, getting to work... Uh, still the standard time as such that we have in our day-to-day working world. I mean, people put in extra hours, many do these days, but there's still this sort of 9 to 5, 9 to 5.30 mentality. And wouldn't it be great if there's a little bit more sort of understanding that maybe for a lot of people, you know, their working day because they function better, maybe later they start their working day at half 10, 11 yeah. and go home at six or someone starts at half seven, eight in the morning and goes home at three because traffic as well is an absolute nightmare, yeah. especially around Reading. It is, it is. <laughs> you know, you may, you may only be 20 minutes from physically from the office, but actually driving there set working times it could take you an hour an hour and a half yeah yeah and, and i think that is one area that can be quite easy to implement mm. i think when you when you start giving people the option to work from home um three days a week there's probably a lot more to consider maybe around physical infrastructure have mm. we got the systems to enable people to do that um is there a concern with security you know we're giving access to our network to these people but when you're just working hours that's much more that's much easier to adapt to you know, because people are still coming into work, but maybe they're working slightly different hours. And, and I, we see quite a lot of that within software development. I think a lot of software developers prefer to work maybe later into the evening, start mm-hmm. late, start at 10, 11, and work till 7 or 8, because that's when they find they're most productive. Yeah. So if you can adapt to that and can accommodate it, it's just going to open up the talent pool for you. It just gives you more options when you're hiring. Yeah. If, you, if you can do that and your competitor can't, then you're more likely to be able to hire um, somebody that they're not able to. Yeah, absolutely. And with, with um, companies, you, you mentioned about sort of how they show themselves um, maybe on social media, on LinkedIn. You know, are they always pushing a product or are they actually giving a bit more than that, hopefully? Yeah. So would you say that, because it's something that I'm, I'm really passionate about and I have a few of my guests here that um, have have sort of uh, their business focus is around corporate social responsibility Mm. and um, I think it's a part that organisations really do need to be involved with for the benefit of community but also for their own staff as well yeah and would you say that's quite a big part that's going on these days I think so I think anything anything that shows your values as 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 an organisation um is, is only going to attract the right sort of people. You know, if you want to attract certain people with certain value sets, you've got to promote that these are your values as a company. Otherwise, mm. you're never going to attract the right sort of people. So I think any, any message you can get out there that are aligned to what you do and the act- actions that you take on a day-to-day basis, a- a- absolutely promote them. Um, yeah. Because they're the things that will, people will see and there'll be a little hook. And they may not apply to a job, but they'll go, oh, that, I remember that company. And then in six months' time, they'll go, oh, that's the same company that I liked before because of what they were doing on their, on their CSR policy or whatever it may be. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important to promote self-promotion in that sense. And you'll know this from, from having um, started your company a few years ago and getting more involved in social media yourself. Um, What's that experience been like for you in promoting your organisation 
so that people can get an insight and understand what you're about rather than actually you're you're selling something yeah yeah it's it's been i've loved the last i mean i've only really i guess put myself out there probably from about august september time Mm. last year and you're doing very well thank you yeah Yeah. i try i try (laughs) Um, because i i'd I'd always been on linkedin but i'd never really posted i'd never really been active and i think it got to to summer last year and i thought i really need to i know i'm doing some really great stuff but I'm not promoting it. And I think a lot of companies do that. You know, the best kept secret. Mm, Every small yeah. company thinks, oh, I'm the best kept secret. <laughs> so um, I knew I needed to promote it a little bit more. And I thought, do I go on video? And it's quite a daunting thing to do initially because um, everybody I've ever known, 7,000 people that I'm connected with, they're going to see that video and I'm going to be exposed and what they're going to think. And, and I guess I just thought, you know what, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Forget the judgment. I know it's going to add value. And, and my focus now is very much around... Um, not selling at all. I don't think there's a single video that I've released that's anything to do with what I do as a business. It's all to really just talking about subjects within recruitment. So I did a, a video saying the CV is dead. Mm. You know, so get, getting some attention and just starting to create some conversation around recruitment related or maybe HR related topics that people can engage with and can find informative. And, mm. I, and I've, I've really enjoyed it. I'm about 25 videos in um, and I'm trying to do two a week, but that's great. Life gets in the way, unfortunately, sometimes. What was the, what was the and I can understand that, well, that's that work-life balance, isn't yeah, it? Well, yeah. It's always a juggle, always yeah. a juggle. Um, what was I going to say then? Yes, about the CV being yeah. dead. What, what was your response to that, that it was, video? It was great. So, I mean, I, I put it up there as um, you know, obviously quite a strong opinion. The CV is dead. That's it. It's done. It's, it's quite a hook, isn't right, it? It's, it's quite, quite a hook. A hook. <laughs> um, and, and I guess the perception really was in part tying into some of the video work that I do and, and I guess challenging people's thinking of saying, mm. is, is the CV really the best way to judge someone's suitability for an interview? Not even for the job, for the because all you're really judging is are they good enough to interview at this stage? Yeah, yeah, um, good point. And so I was just trying to gauge some conversation around how much value do you place on the CV? Will it ever be replaced? You know, we have LinkedIn now. Do people really need CVs when it's all online? Um, and there was there's some really great um, examples over the years. Someone created their CV into a video game. So you, wow. you actually have a link and you can play the levels of his CV. So the next level is his experience and the next one is... Oh, my goodness. So it's, that it's really quite great. clever. Yeah. I mean, he was a software developer, so it kind of tied oh. in with what he was doing. Um, but you can see, you know, graphic designers have some very arty ones. Yes. Um, but no, it was a really interesting post mm. um, and, and it got loads of feedback, which was encouraging. So stuff like that is great. And And... I think, or what I'd like to hope as well is because, you know, business is, is changing. It's always changing um, at a rate of knots. But actually, I think there's a, there's a different dynamic that's coming through these days because of all the advancements that we've got in tech and so forth. Um, oh, my gosh, what was I going to say? There's something I was going to say then. There's a really important point <laughs> I was going to say then. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Look, I've forgotten. I'm sure it will come back that's to me right. in just a moment. Hey there, this is just another quick break and also a reminder, please do leave a review and subscribe at the end of this podcast. So we're back in studio. It's Melissa here. Melissa Gale, it's a Buzz Work-Life Balance and I'm in the studio with David Ellery. And just before we um, went to the news there, I had a bit of a blank moment. I'd lost my trail of thought and the moment has come back. You'll be pleased to hear, David. (laughs) So we were talking about CVs and you had mentioned that uh, you'd posted on LinkedIn about is a CV dead? Mm. And what I was thinking in response to that, that I wanted to sort of share and ask you, were you aware of um, someone who's very renowned on social media called Gary V? I am. Give me Gary to which, yes. yes. Yeah, I'm a big fan. To, to which you responded. And, and what's his role? So what's Gary V's role? Gary, Gary so he's role? CEO, isn't he, of yes. Media and yeah. Empathy Wines. And, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and he, he, if you haven't seen him, check him out. But what I loved about um, him, I mean, he's very, he's very out there. He's very, that wonderful word that we're often using at the moment, authentic. Mm. But I think for the past couple of years, he's hired staff without seeing their CV. Right. So that was just a point I wanted to yeah, make, really. He, he had, and he, he actively promotes it, doesn't he, and talks about it. Yeah. D-Rock, his assistant that does all the videoing, yeah. that w- was one of those people that he sort of met in the street and went, yeah, yeah, okay, I buy into you, I'll hire you. And I think he's got the saying, hasn't he, where 
hiring is guessing, firing is knowing. I think that's his, his <laughs> saying. It's, no matter how, you know, what your interview process, I don't know, I entirely agree with this, but whatever your interview process is, and all, there's always an element of you guessing that yeah. somebody's right. Yeah. Um, so you can do all the, the prep work you like and the screening and the interviewing, but mm. there's always an element of risk. But the difference yeah. is firing is knowing you know they're not right so yeah, yeah. That's, that's his mentality but. and I think what I love what I love about him and actually quite a contrast maybe to his character we were just talking about podcasts whilst the news was playing there and there's a fantastic podcast that I listen to which is Dr John Maxwell who's a leadership podcast and there was a point that he was making in one of his um, episodes recently and it was the fact that when he employs people he labels them as a 10 out of 10 Okay. Right from the word go. He doesn't feel that he needs people to be employed for him to then gain, they need to gain their trust. Right. He employs them because they can do their job and that's where he puts them at a 10 out of 10 right from the word go. Yeah. And it's a little bit similar, I think, from Gary Vee. Yeah. You know, he engages with you. He has an understanding of what you're about. Okay, come on board and let's go with it. Yeah, which I think is a, is a if you if you can... To take the risk and you can mm. you've got that option i think that's a, it's a great thing to do um because i think you know you need to find out very quickly probably three to six months if you're a small business you need to know if that person's right for the business now, if you don't give them any trust or autonomy no. for the first six months how will you ever know um you might know okay i can micromanage them for six months who wants to do that but who wants to do that and yeah. then what does the next six months look like um, yeah but yeah give them autonomy from from the get-go and then you'll find out very quickly um, whether they're a good hire or not, I guess. What do you think about psychometric testings? Um, I think they're really useful for a conversation piece. Um, I've used them in the past. I'm a, what am I? I what are you? ATJ. What are you, David? <laughs> Phoebe is uh, in, my, in my office and might be listening and she'll, she'll, she'll hit me for not remembering because she's a psychology graduate. <laughs> um, Hello, Phoebe. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think they have a place. I think mm. they can give a really good, interesting perspective. But I think the one area where I've maybe found them to fall down in the past is they really give you a comparison of how people might work together. Mm. So you can't do um, a disc profile, for example, on one person. You have to do it on two because you have to say, well, how will you work with me? So when you, if you don't know your own profile and what your strengths and weaknesses are and how you communicate then there's no point doing it with somebody else. Mm. So you, it's, it's very much a, a two-way thing. And there's no right and wrong with, with the profile either. It's, it's, it's how does it fit with each other. Yeah. You can't fail a personality profile, I don't think. Anyway. No, no. And I've met a few people that probably would get close <laughs> to over the years. <laughs> I, think, I think the main thing I, I, I would say about profiling really is is yeah utilize it as a tool and right. not and not that it's necessarily set in stone i'm i'm a great believer as well that um sometimes there are maybe um hidden hidden strengths hidden qualities about yourself that actually haven't been given the platform to come out and depending on what working environment you're in and the people yeah. that you're around um can work to your advantage and not so yeah, I think you're right. I think, and, and it can be really helpful, you know, if you do the profile and you go, okay, the, this person's is showing a, a weakness in this particular trait, just as a conversation, okay, get, well, let them know and see where that conversation goes. And you mm. may find that it's actually a positive or is a true negative and does it matter that it's a negative? Is yeah. it a requirement of the role? So yeah. it, it, it's great for causing for creating conversation and digging a bit deeper, but I don't think it's ever, ever anything that I would use as a go-to no. for decision-making. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just as a tool. Yeah. So... We'll come on to talking about sort of um, candidates looking for work in just a moment, but sort of tying in with that as well, and the fact that we were talking about culture. Mm. How does a how does a um, prospective candidate employee know what sort of culture is going to suit them? Right, and this is the I guess the other half of the question. So the first half is what is that company's culture like? Mm. Because sh should you join them? Do they have a good culture? Are they collaborative? Are they sharing things about the business on, on, their, on their social media and things like that? So that's great. So now you've got an understanding of what their culture's like. I think what quite a few people might, might struggle with or, or potentially have not thought about is what culture do they actually want? Because mm. I, I don't know many people that have sat there and really thought about that question. Um, I think you feel like you intrinsically know what culture suits you. But I think you need to put a little bit more thought and validate that. So um, one of the easiest things to do often is to look back into previous roles that you've had and go, what did I enjoy about working at that business and why? Um, was it the company culture that I enjoyed or was it 
an individual manager who made me feel a certain way because of their mentorship or their training or was it very inclusive and they didn't make a decision across the company without informing everybody so I felt part of something so I think you've really got to dig quite deep and look back into your past and go what made me feel certain ways and what frustrated you as well Mm. you know if you look back and you go I hated that job what was it that you hated about it Mm. was it the job or was it one small part or was it an event that happened, something significant? Um, maybe you didn't get that promotion you were going for or, or something along those lines. So I think the first thing really is to is to figure out and sort of create a perfect profile for what you think you want. Um, and, and I think some of that is going to tie into leadership for sure. I think yeah. I think that's probably the most important thing. Yeah. Um, you know, what expectations do you have of that leader? Um, and then don't be afraid to ask that in the interview. Um, and that's a tough one. It, it, it can know, be a tough one. People makes people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, when you're meeting somebody who's ultimately deciding if they're going to offer you the job, do you have the right to ask them what sort of leader they are? And then when they answer it, then, get, then ask them for evidence of that. Yeah. Okay, well, you said you're, you're, you're this sort of leader, you're a mentor. Can you give me some examples of how you've mentored in the past? <laughs> you know, as, and, and, as an, and you should be asking that yeah. as a candidate, yeah. right? They, they would ask you in, the, in return. Um, and I think if you do ask you'll get a job that's going to, you're going to be happy for a lot longer. Mm. But it takes a level of confidence and... Um, experience, maybe. Experience and assertiveness yeah. to be able to ask that sort of question. Yeah. But you I, absolutely should be. Yeah. Um, and it's important, I think, for candidates and clients to be aware that this is this is a two-way process. Yeah. You, you know, and and I suppose sort of setting setting that scene at the beginning appropriately and respectfully so obviously it's about the employee seeking out an opportunity which is going to benefit them whilst obviously at the same time for the employer it's going to benefit them yeah exactly right and and i think that's probably one area an agency can add some value because it can be it could be quite an uncomfortable conversation to have if you're going directly into a business and you really want to work for that company um and you've got to ask the, the, the hiring manager you know, what's your management style? Give me some examples of how you've done that in the past. Train it. All these different... That's quite a direct question mm. to ask. Whereas I think if you go through the right agency and they know that that's what you're looking for, I mean, from my point of view, we'll, we'll work with the client and say, here's what's important to the candidate. Here's what the candidate would love to find out. They'd love to find out more about examples of where you've offered training and how you've promoted. And then it's me saying it to them, not the, not the candidate themselves. So the mm. candidate still gets the answer, but they don't feel uncomfortable in the process so that's probably an area where you're having someone in the middle can really add a, a lot of value to it yeah and it's at the beginning of the process as well going back to um earlier conversation we were having about time time is really really pressing yeah recruitment <clears throat> is excuse me is key for any organization um to successfully operate you want to have good pl- staff in place to offer that service productivity whatever that might be and therefore you know working with a recruiter or when you're going through those early stages of the recruitment process you need to be sort of transparent and and say how it is what you have to offer from both sides of the coin so everybody has a a true understanding of of expectations and, and what they're going into yeah you do and I, and I think there's it can be done well and it can be done poorly and, and often when it's done poorly it, it looks like this you know the 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 recruit the, the recruiter phones the company um, and says, I want to help hire for you. And the company says, okay, here's the job description. Send me some candidates. <laughs> that's the, recru- the worst, The recruiter isn't goes, it? okay, I'm on the case. <laughs> I won't let you down. And, and that's, that's, that happens. Uh, and I imagine does. that happens a lot. Mm. Um, and the employee doesn't give them the time either. It's sort of like, here, here's, the, yeah. here's the job. Right, you've got it. Off you go. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 you know, some, some recruiters will push back and they'll say, um, you know, before I take this job on, I need to run through these 15 questions with you. Mm. And often, again, they'll be pushed back from the company go, wow, you know, don't Time's you know what pressing. you're doing? Thought you were a specialist and all yeah. this. You know, and, and often it's, and it ultimately comes back to the recruiter not explaining the value of why they need to have that mm. conversation. Mm. You know, if you position it and say, I've got 15 questions, I need them before I can help. Okay, yeah, but you're not explaining why you need to ask those 15. Mm. And I think if you approach it in a slightly different way and go, if you can give me 15 minutes and we can run through three questions, here's all the time I'm going to save you. Here's why it will be so effective. I'll be able to sell the opportunity so much more effectively. I'll be able to get buy-in. I'll be able to show you a wider range of candidates. and You'll spend less time interviewing. So if, if you can get the, the client bought into the process and they understand why they need to spend time talking to you, and it yeah. doesn't have to be a huge amount of time. It doesn't have to 
put three days out of the diary, um, you know, half an hour meeting in person or an hour on the phone, whatever it may be, um, that's going to save them a huge amount of time further down the line. Yeah, and it's, it's preventative measures to a certain extent. I mean, yes, there are always risks in whoever you bring on board. There's never any, there's never, ever any guarantee, no, no, no matter whether you've done a whole day recruiting process, psychometric testing and so forth, there's never any guarantee. However, if you go through the process of giving time and the information as much as you can do in those early stages, yeah. that limits a knock-on effect at a later date. It, it does, it does. And, and it means that you evolve as a business and, and you start to see you, you start to see patterns and you know you have that pattern recognition and go well you know we, we we took these steps the first time it didn't work out okay we'll do this slightly differently next time and it's it's learning if you're making the same mistakes over and over and you seem to have the same churn of people for everyone leaves because they you know you didn't deliver what you said you'd deliver or they didn't live up to their skill set and i speak to some companies who go you know we've been through four people um and they've all not had the skill sets they promised on their cv and at that point, you've got to think, well, you've been through think about three it. or four times. <laughs> yeah. There's a pattern here. There's an um, alarm bell going right, on. Right, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's not you, it's us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it is a process to go through. And, and, and the more you go through it, and the, I guess the beauty of the agencies is they've been through it so many more times. Yeah. They've you know, been through it a thousand times, two thousand times. So we can maybe add some tips along the way. Yeah. And, and reiterating that, recruitment agencies that, you know, are, are worth that, that sort of fee you know, in respect to finding a great candidate for you, give them the time, make sure they know about your organisation and they can deliver great employees for I you. I think so. And, and the more you work with them, the less time you'll find you need to spend. The first time you work with an agency, of course, you've got to spend a lot more time because they don't know the business. Yeah. But later down the line, if you say, I want another one of those, then that's often yes. a very, very quick conversation. It doesn't yeah. have to be long and drawn out. You know, exactly, time. because they get that essence and they know the, the type of... Again, this is something, and I'm aware that we're, we're going to be running out of, we're coming up to half past three in about 14 minutes, so we'll carry on with the conversation, but there is so much more we could probably talk about here. But it is just so really, really important, isn't it, getting the right person in a company. And we, right at the very beginning, before we went on air, we were saying how, yes, obviously the skills are very, very important, you need them to do the job, mm. but it's the person fit. Yeah. Talking about going back to culture again, the person fit, the essence of the person that fits into the essence of the, the company yeah. is key, isn't it? It is. And, and funnily enough, in preparation to this, I was, I was doing some research and looking into culture and I came across a company called Zappos. I think they're a US-based okay. company. Um, and and they 50% of their criteria for interviews is culture fit. So, if, you know, right. you throw in all the other elements around technical skills and education and 50% mm. culture. And what they do is at the end of your, I think it's the second week or the third week in the business, they offer you $2,000 to leave. Oh. And, and you know, because they, they, if you're not a fit and you don't buy into the business early on, you, they want you to leave. Wow. It's gonna say, by so they pay you them to leave. They pay you to leave. They say, look, because they're going to be saving themselves money, I guess, is their view. Um, <laughs> if they keep that employee on for the next six months knowing that it's not a good fit then it's going to cost them a huge amount more mm. I don't know if you need to go to that extreme um, but it was interesting to see how much they weight that yeah um, and, you know in, in the interview process 50% yeah and I, and I think going on from that as well an important thing that or, or something that I noticed uh, in recruiting times was the fact that you know you would build a relationship with a candidate and really get a sort of, uh, hopefully, a good sense of the sort of employer, the, cu the culture environment they would fit in. And you'd have a job description and you, you'd suggest that to the candidate and want to talk to them. And, and there'd be this sort of homing in straight away on the CV of a task or a few things they, that they could not do. Mm. But actually, in the bigger picture of things, they fitted the majority of the criteria. Yeah. And this was something that could be worked on you know personality wise culturally wise they'd fit they might be lacking a little bit in some of the key skills but actually they were they were not as described by the the client definitive they, yeah. they had to have it um and i think people need to be understanding of that as well the fact that you know it's important to be in the right working environment and obviously you want to be able to do the job but give yourself a little bit of time a little bit of credit there are certain things you can learn given an opportunity yeah, absolutely and, and i think that's one of the biggest attractions to a new role and, and i try and explain this when i you know work with um with any business is no one's going to accept a job that they can do on day one 
Hmm. because the reason they're often looking for a role is to challenge themselves or to learn new skills. And so if you put a list of, I want them to be able to do all of these tasks and you find a candidate and they can do all of those tasks, then the candidate's going to be immediately bored. Hmm. Going, Great. Well, where do I go from here? Hmm. Um, so you, you've got to be willing to invest and go, well, look, we don't, we, we need these six out of 10 skills. They're must haves for whatever reason, but we'll train you in three. And then all of a sudden you've got a much more exciting proposition for a candidate and go, how would you like to get into this technology sector? And they go, oh, wow, yeah, I'd love to. And you go, brilliant. Well, you hit these six, that's all we need. They'll support you with the other three. And then it's and then it's an exciting opportunity for somebody. Um, and then they're going to feel an element of loyalty as well to the business yeah. um, because the business is investing in them as well. So you're, yeah. you're right. Sometimes there are instances where you just have to have the skills. Yeah, um, of course. Because they just don't Those have are, them in the company. They have to have. They yeah. have to have them. Um, but a lot of the time that's one or two skills. Yeah. When you see a job specification, there's 15 15 yeah. bullet points saying we must have all of these at that point you think okay we need to maybe revisit that and, and really drill down into what's essential mm. versus what's nice to have and I think the key point in, ma- in making and saying this is that you know if you have a candidate that has all those skills mm. but they don't fit into the environment they could be upsetting the apple cart so to speak yeah. and actually by understanding that they might not fit fully the whole criteria but you know what they're going to fit into this culture perfectly yeah. Um, and they've got the right attitude and they've got the ability to learn and take on those um, extra tasks in due course. That's yeah. where you have to balance, Absolutely. don't you? And you can't, I guess, ironically, I guess you, you, you can't say you must have all of these 12 skills and the ability to learn. Because if, mm. you, if, if you're hiring somebody that already has the skills for all the job, they, don't, they probably don't need to learn. So it's almost yeah. an oxymoron, isn't it, as well? Yeah, that? yeah. So we've been talking about very much about... Um, the employer's side of thing, touching on the employee, in their engagement, the relationship with agency or recruiter. What would you say to people if they're looking for a new opportunity, um, how they would go about engaging and what's really important with the relationship they're building with a recruiter? Um, I, think there's a, I think there's a few things to consider. One, you'll be spoiled for choice and, and not in a good way. There's mm. so many recruiters. Um, it's it's a bit like you know um, trying to find any supply. If you're trying to find a good plumber, where do you start? How how do you know that somebody's good at what they do or will be able to help you? So there will be an element of trial and error, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, of course, start with recommendations. I mean, it, it goes without saying. If you know other people that have recently found a role um, or have. Um, have got networks into the recruitment industry and they can recommend you to a recruiter. I think that's a great place to start. Um, one, because the recruiter is going to buy into you because you've been recommended to them. So that's that's a nice place to begin with. Um, but secondly, it gives you somewhere to, to, to build on. Mm. I'd always try and say, although location isn't key, I think it's always nice if you can if you can meet the recruiter in person. Um, doesn't always have to be essential. You know, we do a lot on video, as I mentioned, and I, I recruit across the UK. So I certainly don't meet every candidate in person that I, I work with. Um, but if they're local, all the better, especially if you're a little bit unsure about maybe what sector you're going to go into or if you're trying to transition industries or something and you're looking for some real advice and, and tips and insights, sometimes it's easier to do that in person. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important. And, and I'd also look at the background of the, the recruiter themselves. Um, I, I may say this because I'm a small business, but I, I don't think I would put too much weight on the company you know, there's some there's some big recruitment names out there in the industry, yeah. um, and the immediate thought is, well, I'll call those companies because they're really well known in the accountancy sector or the finance or whatever it may be. Um, the reality is, I'd look at the individual that you're working with, do a bit of research, look on LinkedIn. Yeah, how mm. long have they been in the industry? Um, are they posting things on on LinkedIn that's interesting, useful content? Are they because if you can identify somebody that's been around the block a few times, they're probably going to give you a bit more of an insight. Yeah. And, and more valuable advice, I would think. Not always, but majority of the time. And I think I think um, it's like any any profession, any professional. Um, it does. It all comes down to relationships, um, building relationships, and, and building sort of trust, really. Yeah. Because because you know, looking for a new job, securing a new job is is a key part of of life. Everyone everyone works in some shape and form, but it's to remember the fact that. You know, if you have a bit of a not such a great experience with one recruiter, that doesn't mean that they're all like it. No. There, are, there are some. What I really want to say is there are some 
really excellent, great recruiters out there doing a, a fantastic job for both employers and employees. Um, so it's to, re- it's to remember that and well, not tie them all with the so. same brush. Yeah, and, and I think... And that's, I think in a lot of ways, although, like you say, recruiters sometimes do get a, a bad rep, it's probably very, very similar for most industry sectors. Mm. I mean, I hear a lot about the marketing industry and there's a lot of marketing sharks and you don't know who to trust within that space. Yeah. And um, like I say, tradespeople is a great example. Yes, yes. You know, everybody's got their opinion on yeah. X, Y, Z, but then you find a really great electrician and you think, wow, ele- not all don't electricians. Don't let them go. Yeah, don't <laughs> let them go. Exactly right. Um, so I think, yeah, you, you, we have to kiss a few frogs maybe, um, but I think they, they are out there. They are, they are. And um, if you're if you're looking for recruitment, a recruitment opportunity, whether you're looking for new staff or whether you're somebody who's looking for an opportunity within IT or engineering, there's always David Ellery at Ripple Recruitment to get in contact with. Absolutely. We're coming up to the end of the show, David. Um, it's been great, really enjoyed it. And I'm sure there, there's so much more that we could talk about around recruitment. Um, if someone would like to get in contact with you, how would they go about doing that? Um, by all means, so you can email me, which is just david at ripplerecruit.co.uk. Um, or you can find out lots of information on the website, which again is just ripplerecruit.co.uk. Okay. And don't forget to look out for some more videos coming up. And connect when? with me on LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. When's the next video coming out? Do you know? I think it will, I'll be recording one Sunday morning. So I, yeah, absolutely. So I think post mon- it on Monday. Monday will be out there. Or I'll be looking out for that. Yeah, I'll probably be on culture. I hope. Maybe off the back of this conversation. <laughs> well, look, thank you so much once again. Hope you've enjoyed it. Have a uh, fabulous weekend. Pleasure. Thank you very much. And hopefully, I'll catch up with you at a later date. Hey there, so I hope you enjoyed listening to this show. As I mentioned in my intro, this podcast is about talking to real people who are doing amazing and interesting things in different areas of their lives. As I develop and improve on this podcast, I hope that you'll continue on this journey with me and be inspired in some way by my guests. I'll leave you with a little quote that I like by Albert Einstein. Life is like a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. Take care, everyone, and please listen in again.